0: You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on the show. Wet Wednesday out there. Hope everybody's staying dry this afternoon. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you in our studios here in Auburn, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Find Levi and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. It's Wednesday, and we're another week closer to A-Day. A-Day depth chart series on the docket today. Linebackers are due, uh, possibly one of the best units on the entire football team. I don't know if I'd say it's one of the deepest units on the entire football team when you're talking about quality depth, The rather... Top heavy unit, but when you're talking about what's at the top, oh buddy, watch out. These guys can knock your head off.
2: Oh, yeah, you got great tackle machines, just guys who are going to get out there and hit you. You got some really good guys up top, but does that, like, how does that feel down the stretch? Does it go a little bit thin down the stretch? It looks like it's so far. You're going to need some guys to step up come 8A offseason at the beginning of the year to really solidify this group because, again, like you said, at the top of this, it's, it's it's the best of the best right now on this Auburn roster, but it kind of gets a little, little lean going down when you look at that depth chart.
1: Later on in the show, we'll have Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast coming up at 2.30. We'll get his thoughts on the linebacker room and all things Auburn football. It is an Auburn football-heavy discussion there with Zach Blackerby. A lot of great insights coming up from him as well. Once again, that's at 2.30. Or if you miss that or you ever miss any part of the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk a little NCAA tournament. The magic is still alive. Cinderella still dancing.
2: What did I tell you yesterday? You have to kill Mick Cronin
1: <laughs> I to saw beat you him, tweet that. and
2: they so did true. not kill him.
1: He still has a pulse.
2: UCLA still dancing.
1: The NCAA tournament never it never ceases to disappoint. Or it, it, it's it. I, I'm trying to figure out how to say that. It, it never ceases to disappoint. Is that is that the? It would be the it, other way. It never it, ceases to amaze us.
2: Yeah, it always amazes. It always brings the chaos. It brings the unpredictable. I picked the wrong game to say first to fifty. Last night's game, UCLA-Michigan was the game where it was first to 50 because uh, 51-49 defensive battle played right into Mick Cronin's hands, and we'll talk about that one later for sure.
1: Well, let's get started here with our 8A depth chart series, the linebacker room here for Auburn football. As I've stated stated already, this group is top-heavy. The two guys at the top are outstanding, and they really complement each other well at that inside linebacker position or what? will be known as the inside linebacker position this year considering last year these were the only two linebackers that ever really played. But now they are the two main linebackers at the inside linebacker part of this defense. Now we've got outside linebackers that are going to be primary pass rushers for armored football. We'll start the 8 a depth chart series with the inside linebacker location in this linebacker room. And it's no secret, and you would agree with me on this, these guys, as much as they are talked about, as good as they are, There's no moving these guys. These two are very well the leaders on the team in terms of their play. Maybe not necessarily the most vocal leaders, but in terms of their play Owen Papo, Zacoby McClain, these two guys are studs in that linebacker room.
2: You're not moving those guys out. Like those guys are starting no matter what. I mean, they were the only two linebackers who were playing with that. You know, typically Auburn was running just two to one linebacker at a time. So it's these two guys who you know for a fact. You're going into this 8 day. You're going into this season. These guys are going to play. They're going to play substantial minutes.
1: Jacoby McClain, the SEC's leading tackler last year. The only reason for that is because the defensive line was so bad. If you had a better defensive line, he may not be the leading tackler in the SEC, but he succeeded in spite of that defensive line last year. He's the hardest-hitting linebacker on this team. He really stepped up his game when K.J. Britt went down with an injury last year. Like Britt... I think he needs to improve on his pass coverage, but I think we've seen KJ Brent do that here in the offseason on his way into the NFL draft because we saw some indications of that at the senior bowl.
2: That's what I was about to say. I was like at the we were I was crushing him when we were talking about his draft. We were talking about his draft potential and I said I didn't think he showed a lot of coverage potential. He goes out to senior day. And I thought he it was ad- a
1: worse Deshaun Davis.
2: Yeah, and then he goes out to senior bowl and he shows that he does have the ability to cover it. It at least showed that he'd been working on that and improving that, so that's a good thing for you know a guy like that. So. But
1: here's the key thing with KJ Britt here as we're on a side tangent. Here's the thing with KJ Britt. Deshaun Davis was drafted, and most people had him, if you were just grading a guy out going into the draft, not necessarily because most mock drafts don't go that deep, and it's very hard to predict that deep, but Deshaun Davis was graded out as undrafted and he ends up getting drafted. And the point that I'm trying to make here is all it takes is for one team to like you and then they'll draft you. And a big part of it is Deshaun Davis was an impressive and still is an impressive human being to talk to and to listen, talk about the game of football and to pick his brain about his knowledge of football. I mean, they obviously were impressed with what was in the helmet, you know, with his head. And that's what led to him getting drafted. Now I know things didn't pan out for him in the league itself in terms of being a player but he still got drafted and so for KJ Britt although I think he's a worse version of Deshaun Davis a similar type of archetype at linebacker I still think we could see the guy get drafted because teams could fall in love with KJ Britt the person KJ Britt the the mind KJ Britt the locker room guy they could fall in love with that and that could be enough to get him drafted and just say hey, our, our franchise isn't going to fold on a sixth-round pick, a seventh-round pick. This guy, maybe he pans out and we end up getting a steal at linebacker, especially considering we see his pass coverage is beginning to uh, – he's at least illustrating that he's coachable in that area of his game if he's already improving on it this quickly and he's not even on an NFL roster. So that's something to be said there about K.J. Britt. Zacoby McClain, though, I actually view a lot different, though, than KJ Britt, despite the fact that I think he could improve a lot in pass coverage, and he is primarily a run stopping linebacker. If you were looking at comparing him to Owen Papo, but and talking about comparing him to KJ Britt, if they, if they do play this similar spot, you know, the thing about Zacoby McClain is he's a lot quicker, he's more agile, his his athleticism I feel like is a lot higher. His frame is a lot more conducive to him having to be able to cover. He's a lot he's a lot lighter than KJ Britt. He's like twenty pounds lighter. He's like two twenty tops the guy looks like an old school safety compared to you know new I know it's a new age linebacker thing to see linebackers at 220 you know but back in the day defenders at the second and third level used to be a lot bigger than they are right now safeties used to be 220 and linebackers used to be 240 on a regular basis now that's you've shaved off about 20 pounds at both of those positions in order to keep up with the spread nature of college football KJ Britt didn't have the proper frame to be successful I felt like in defending the passing game on a regular basis. Jacoby McLean, though I think he's a lot closer to that than KJ Britt is so Zacobe McLean, this is this just could be an area of his game that it took three four years to develop but guess what he's going into an experienced portion of his career now where he's been in the program for three four seasons now now this type these types of things develop in players.
2: Yeah and this is when you start seeing like parts of their game that really weren't there early on. This is what we call development. This is where you develop guys. And you know what? Pass coverage is the last thing that develops for a linebacker. I mean, we said it plenty of times. There are very few linebackers who are good at coverage at the collegiate Most level. Most of the time, it never develops. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, and typically when you see it develop, guess what? Those guys get drafted and they get drafted pretty high. Yep. So when it starts developing, at the collegiate level, that's good. That just means you got a really good linebacker and a guy who has a chance at the next level. It's hard. For linebackers, most of the time when they're coming out of the high school game, they're not asked a lot in coverage. And typically, if they are in what they're covering in high school, at the high school game, that's they're not having to do anything over the top in coverage. They're not having to go against world beaters at athletes for the most part. Then you say, for instance, you come into the SEC game, and then you're having to cover, you know, typical running backs who are let's say like a tank bigsby where you're asked to try to like shadow him and catch him in coverage or you have
1: well, what a&m has done for so long check down charlie Kevin yeah. mond was just dumping it off the running back after running back throughout his
2: career and you know why because the linebacker position doesn't yeah. typically cover very well no. at the collegiate level tight and,
1: ends have emerged as a oh major.
2: yeah God, tight ends are linebacker killers now because mm-hmm. of the evolution of that position guess and, what
1: wider two touchdowns against auburn last year just staying on the trend of texas a&m oh, players yeah,
2: there you go i mean texas a- texas a&m their offensive scheme was uh designed to beat up on the collegiate linebacker at least against us I mean, most schemes
1: are and i yeah. think albert's offense is moving in that direction as well with what they're going to do with take bigsby out of the backfield of the passing game and also with the implementing tight ends right yeah, the increase of the tight end position let's talk about owen papo here though because we can't talk about zocobie mcclain for the entirety of this segment owen papo is counterpart i think there's just as just as many things to like about owen papo if not more even though we may have not have seen the same stat level of production that Zacomi McLean put up because Zocomi McClain once again was the SEC leader in tackles last year although Owen Papo may not be in that situation Owen Papo is the Swiss army knife of the defense If if I'm going to label a guy on this defense as the Swiss army knife this guy can cover he can run stop he can pass rush he's going to be a major weapon for Derek Mason I'm really curious to see what happens to his draft stock after playing in this scheme because Derek Mason likes to switch things up. He's very Multiple is probably the right word to describe it. I just don't really like using that word when I'm talking about defenses. I like the word hybrid a little bit more because this defense is going to switch in and out of the 3-4 and the 4-3, and I feel like that's their base rather than just saying, well, they're going to do 3-4, 4-3, 4-2-5. They're going to do whatever they want to do, which they are going to – move in and out of different fronts but I, I think at the end of the day this is still a 3-4 defense even if they move to having just tr- two down linemen and then two pass rushers that stand up on the outside we've seen that in the NFL yep. a lot with that 3-4 with, with 3-4 schemes in the NFL sometimes you see that but I digress with Owen Papo I think he provides Derek Mason somebody who does like to switch up his looks somebody who likes to get creative somebody who likes to dial up intricate looks on the defensive side of the football to confuse quarterbacks Owen oh, Papo is going to be at the center of that because not only can he blitz I think he does have the ability to cover he could definitely improve with it that. every linebacker could improve in that category but he's definitely a better pass covering linebacker than Jacoby McClain is and then I also you know believe this guy can run stop as well because that is what he that's what he entered Auburn being able to do already these other areas of his game have, have really developed now you're getting a coach who i believe isn't as stubborn isn't as rigid as his predecessor i felt like kevin Steele was very rigid in his scheme every single position had very finite outline roles and you weren't getting more outside of that like you had the buck position all they were doing was pass rushing they were never dropping back into coverage that's all they did they were basically a fourth defensive lineman don't sell me that that was an outside linebacker in that previous scheme you know these linebackers primarily they were tasked with having a run stop because the defensive line was so poor at that and then your cornerback's purely pass coverage I mean this is just it was very rigid in the past and it was mainly in the nickel all last season there wasn't a whole lot of switching in and out there wasn't a whole lot of it it didn't seem to me to be a very intricate defense this is going to be an intricate defense and Owen Papo is going to do a lot of different things and he's going to do a lot of different things well I know that may sound cliche just saying a lot of different things but look this guy can this guy could do everything
2: Owen Papo is one of those players where when you take that job if you're thinking it from Derek Mason's perspective You're looking at it going, oh, man, this guy can do a lot. And I'm like, Derrick Mason has to be just foaming at the mouth, just salivating, thinking, I can use this guy so many different ways. Not just with Owen Papo. He's got to
1: be thinking about that with several players across this
2: defense. He has a lot of guys who are versatile and can do many things. And you're going to see a lot – you you hit it right on the head. You're going to see a lot more different looks because Derrick Mason isn't as rigid – as Kevin Steele was in some of his formations, in some of the things that he brings to the table in terms of formations, versatility, and certain things like that, you're not going to really see that a lot. Like you're not going to, you're not going to see rigi- rigidity. You're going to see a lot of different just looks and whatnot. And Owen Papo, and McClain are two guys that I think are going to be at the heart and center of that. Owen Papo more so. I think he's a little bit more versatile than Coby McClain is. But Derek Mason's walking into a position where. He has brought in a lot of – he's he's always got a lot out of linebackers, and now he has two talented linebackers here at the center of his core that he can really work with, develop, and mold.
1: Linebackers have been the best thing about his defenses at Vanderbilt.
2: Yeah, and he's been getting guys – Even though
1: he's a defensive back he's, – yeah, he's more he's, defensive back-minded, I feel like, because he is coaching yes. Auburn safeties. Yeah, so. he's,
2: he's more of a defensive back guy, but he also – yeah, like you said, he, he comes in with always getting the most out of linebackers who, let's be honest – the linebackers they were getting at Vanderbilt are a lot less talented than Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain are right now. He can get a lot out of these guys, I believe. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the guys he can get at Auburn at the linebacking position, you saw what he was getting at Vanderbilt and getting out of those guys. Now he's going to get the talent that he can get at Auburn at that position. Watch out. I think he can do a lot with linebackers.
1: Let's quickly go through the backups because we've just, just you know, oozed over Yeah, oozed saying, an we were, we were the, just swooning over these yeah. guys. The backups here, Chandler Wooten I think is going to be the first guy that you ins- you insert into this inside linebacker room. I didn't break the inside linebacker depth chart here up into the two positions and then go three deep underneath them. I just basically said underneath these two starters, who are guys that we're going to see rotate primarily. I'm kind of treating it like a, a basketball lineup, you know, where you've got yeah. your sixth, seventh, eighth man. So the first guy off the bench, I think if you're looking at linebackers, the guy who's going to receive the most playing time as a backup, Chandler Wooten. And I'm not super high up on Chandler Wooten and his ability because when he opted out this past season, I was one of the first to say not a big deal because, A, I thought he was the fourth-string linebacker going into last season, and now you, you've you got Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain who last season showcased that they could succeed even without depth yep. at the position. So I don't think that Chandler Wooten returning this season really moves the needle for me a whole lot in terms of quality depth at the position, but it is nice to have someone with a lot of experience, especially when you're talking about the two guys behind him that didn't play hardly at all. So it is nice to have Chandler Wooten in that spot with experience. And because he's got the most experience out of all the backups, I factor him in to get on the field more than Wesley Steiner and Desmond Tisdall. And basically, take your pick on those guys getting on yeah. the field because they really didn't play a lot last year. Tisdall played more so than Steiner did. I was kind of shocked by that last year. Every week I was asking, where is Wesley Steiner? Why have we not seen this guy yet? But Tisdall, more likely than not, I would say, is the leader out of those two players. Unless um, unless
2: Steiner takes like some big leaps. Because...
1: I still don't think either of these guys play hardly at all oh, no. because you want Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain on the field as much as possible, and both of those guys played an enormously high percentage of the snaps for Auburn last year.
2: Do you think we see any TD Moultrie at outside linebacker at all? Like, do you think he's? Well, gonna we'll be- get to
1: outside linebacker later on in the show. Yeah, okay. So I, I haven't that's, talked that's about what I'm,
2: that's what I was kind of leaning into it. I was kind of trying to segue us into that.
1: I don't think TD Moultrie plays at inside linebacker, despite the fact that there were some reports when he was returning that he could end up at inside linebacker. I think considering look when this Auburn football roster was released they had him listed as an edge I don't think we see this guy inside linebacker but we'll get to outside linebacker later on in the show let's don't reveal all of our secrets here early we got uh we'll we'll come back to the 8a depth chart series later on probably at the top of the hour back at three that'll be when we come back to the outside linebacker and some of those edge rushers we will be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break talking ncaa tournament when we come back cinderella still dancing in the ncaa tournament stay with us here on on the line you're on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater thunderstorming outside it's getting worse got kind of tired of the rain but you know it is march wash away the pollen please it is march and about to be april actually tomorrow it's april it's apocalypse weather season you know, you
2: know what they say about april showers they bring me flowers
1: I, I didn't know that i didn't i've never heard that saying before i know never i never heard that i heard that saying before what? i don't know uh Did i guess maybe in I've, a box probably probably and now I'm a talking voice coming out of people's radio boxes. So uh, you, you it's all came a, cir- full you've circle. you lived in the, a box your whole life The now. circle of life. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's the number to call to get you through to on the line. Noah Gardner at Levi Fitzwater on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. We just wrapped up a conversation about the inside linebacker room with our 8 day depth chart series. We'll come back to that at the top of our next hour at 3 o'clock we will get to the outside linebacker position, so stay tuned for that. In about seven minutes or so, or eight minutes, we've got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us on the show as well. We're going to talk all things Auburn football with him. We'll get his thoughts on the linebacker room also. So he'll give us his starters. We, we didn't go too deep with him, but he'll give us his starters on that conversation with him. But let's go to the NCAA tournament now. There's still magic In the NCAA tournament, Cinderella still dancing past midnight. It is the Final Four now, an 11-seed play-in game, UCLA all the way to the Final Four on the second team to have ever done that. BCU was the first way back when, and I think that was 2012 and the epic run that they put together. UCLA makes it to the Final Four. What does dancing past midnight mean for Cinderella? A date with Dynasty against Gonzaga, who is trying to be the first team to win a national championship and finish off a year undefeated since Indiana in, like, 1976. So a lot of storylines colliding here. That's the juiciest matchup. Maybe not in terms of ability, because one team's on one side of the spectrum and the other team's just kind of getting by by the skin of their teeth right now. But when you're talking about storylines, do you want the Cinderella, the 11 seed, to make it to the natty? Or do you want the team to... Win the national title after going undefeated and, and breaking that long spell, that curse of someone in college basketball not being able to achieve that since the 70s with Indiana. I'm torn because I like Indiana basketball a lot. And when Kentucky was doing this back in 15, like I, 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 I Indiana's my second favorite college basketball program. Little underwhelmed by the Mike Woodson hire. Pretty disappointed. Kind of sad that everybody's laughing at the program. But for a while when I've seen teams. Get into this range of being able to achieve this. I've kind of been like, I don't want it to happen. I like the fact that Indiana's name is still relevant for at least something.
2: It also it was also easier with Kentucky to cheer against them because I mean, me and you are Auburn guys, so we were at the, we were probably sitting there going, eh, don't, definitely don't want Kentucky to do this because it, we're, we're SEC guys. We didn't want them to do that. I'm not torn at all. Like I I straight up do not want Gonzaga to go through with this because. I would rather, if someone's going to do this, I want to see a Power 5, Power 6 team like do it because they at least went through the gauntlet. And I'm not saying that Gonzaga didn't play a lot of good teams. I mean, they played Iowa throughout their you know regular season. They played Auburn. like They played good teams. And they even had Baylor scheduled earlier this year. It just didn't get to happen because of a COVID test. So I'm not torn at all. I want to see Mick Cronin take the defense and stop the buzzsaw that is Gonzaga's offense. Can he do it? I don't know because let's be honest. This Gonzaga offense has looked unstoppable. They they look unguardable at all times. Like every time you've watched them this year, it's their
1: passing. It's their passing. It's basically ha- teleportation of the basketball. Passing
2: depth, coaching. Like they have guys that they can play. Like the front court, the back court. I mean, you got guys who are going to be in the NBA on the in the back court in terms of Jalen Suggs. You've got just monsters down low front. They were I saw a tweet last night that said they were just out fundamentaling USC down low last night. And it was true because they were just the polished post moves that Gonzaga has down low. Goodness, it is just it's if you if you're a post guy and you like to see old school post play where they're just fundamentaling up and unders, nice good turns, just watch Gonzaga. Man, it's fantastic.
1: Number to call 334 321 1390 That gets you through to on the line. We are taking your calls. We had Robbie Weinstein of Andy 24-7 on yesterday, and he made a statement that I hadn't thought about until now when he said it. He said that he thought that this Gonzaga team was up there among the best teams to have ever played in college basketball. He grouped them with that Kentucky team that went undefeated all the way to the Final Four and then was upset in that Final Four game to Wisconsin, which I know you're you're bringing up rings. Can't
2: Can't be the greatest team of all time without a ring.
1: That's very true. Can't be it. That's very true. I would say best. Especially
2: especially if you lose in the final four. Like, if you're that team, you got to lose in the championship game.
1: I would say best just because of talent. And me and you have had discussions about greatest versus best. I, I, I don't think best is necessarily predicated on winning championships. I just think it's talent level sometimes strange things happen and all it takes is one game to lose right mm-hmm. and that team to have lost that stature of greatest so i'm with you greatest can't be considered you don't win a title but, but
2: most talented and best yes yes you can definitely consider that kentucky team with the most talented and best team
1: i hadn't thought about gonzaga that way but now that that has been said and i've begun to think about it i'm sitting here thinking man if gonzaga had a different name if this was louisville if this was Kentucky, if this was Duke, if this was North Carolina, if this was a blue blood and not Gonzaga from WCC, if this was somebody that had a little bit more clout to their name, I think without a doubt we'd be viewing these guys as the greatest college basketball team of all time, especially greatest and best, especially if they win the national championship, which I think they're very, very much so on track to do. It's
2: it's just their conference. It's their conference. I don't think it's their name because people have started to respect the Gonzaga name. It's just the issue of they don't play. They respect
1: it without respecting it, though. Yeah, because you you still respect them as like a great college basketball program, but there's always there's always an asterisk. There's always the but next to it. There's
2: always the but they they play Pepperdine. They played St. Mary's. Like there's always that. play San Francisco. Who did beat Virginia?
1: They play a bunch of teams where you don't know their team's nicknames, though.
2: Exactly. Yeah, teams like Like, that. Who's that? Exactly. That's that's fun. yeah the Gales the St. Mary's Gales there you go thanks Sting, for the I shout out <laughs> But yeah like that if they played in I don't even like if they played in the Pac 12 you might respect them a little bit better than what you respect them now and also like I'll go on this if they beat North Carolina a few years ago you might be viewing this team a little bit different in the national championship game like you might be viewing this Gonzaga team Yeah they've team. never
1: won a national championship yeah. before
2: If they won that one against North Carolina what was that 2016
1: if I'm not mistaken They've or? became they have become excuse me they have become the team that i feel like everybody likes to root against because they win so much but you're irritated by the fact that they don't play anybody Clemson's yes. in that same category in football people are irritated by Clemson because of the status of the ACC at the moment and they just beat up on everybody it's like
2: UCF. people
1: feel like what gonzaga achieves isn't earned yeah. and i don't think people will actually view what they what they do and what they achieve as earned until they win a national championship
2: i agree with that and it's you got to take a step back in terms of basketball is a different game you can get beat by almost any basketball team on any given night football is pretty cut and dry for the most part like you're going pretty chalky most of the way even throughout the regular season basketball is different it's harder
1: to win a national championship in basketball than it is in football
2: and it's harder to it's harder to go undefeated in basketball than is a football because in any given night you could imagine you're playing which
1: would you rather see internally here because you've just made that statement that it's harder to do this in basketball and go undefeated would you rather see Gonzaga do this thing and and finish it out strong or would you rather see UCLA win this ball game I'd rather see UCLA win this ball game 100% I'm a Mick Cronin guy you know this I love Mick Cronin you didn't become a Mick Cronin guy until he went on this run you didn't care you didn't care uh, you just like being able to make tweets that say you have to kill Mick Cronin to beat him and he's still (laughs) kicking On the other side of this break, we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. Stay with us here as we talk Auburn football with him.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You
1: are on the line with Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's Wednesday and we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast joining us as we teased in our previous segment. Zach, how you doing today, my man?
3: I tell you this every week. I wake up on Wednesdays and I just I can't believe it that some point during the day I will be on the line with Noah Gardner. I I can't believe it. It's truly an honor and a blessing every single week. It's a journey
1: through the space-time continuum onto the radio here on On The Line. Zach, appreciate you joining us today. This afternoon, we've been discussing our 8 day depth chart series. We've gotten into the linebackers, possibly the least soft group of this Auburn football team. We talked about the defensive line last week, a group that I called soft. These linebackers succeeded last season in spite of the defensive line. Any
3: general impressions of this linebacker room going into the spring. Deep, versatile, angry. Uh, I think it's, it's a lot of different things. Experienced. I mean, obviously the headlining guys, Jacoby McClain, Owen Papo. I mean, we could spend the rest of the segment listing accolades for both of those guys. But storylines here, it's like, okay, Chandler Wooten returning, you know, opted out last year. He thought it was that was what was best for his family. He's back now. And providing a crazy amount of depth to the inside linebacker position it surprised me a little bit it surprised me in the sense of you know I kind of was wondering if there would be a way to put all three of those guys that's kind of the big three of the linebacker group right now can you put them all on the field at the same time and I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of that because they've kind of dubbed all of these guys as inside guys even though Owen and Zacoby, I think you could put almost anywhere on the field due to their athleticism and their size but that's, um, that's a fun conversation to have. And then you look at these edge players. If we're calling those guys linebackers, TD Moultrie was a starter um, in, in, the, in the open practice. And then he was not at practice uh, for that for that scrimmage, that open viewing period that we saw this past Thursday. So where does he line up? Is he a starter? That's going to be a lot of fun. Then Derek Hall on the other side. A lot of explosive guys on this team. A lot of guys that, that I'm excited about. Romello Height. Is, uh, is another dude on the edge, and I really can't wait to see how he's developed and filled out as a, as a defensive player. So a ton of depth, a ton of depth.
1: Like I said, we've been doing our A-Day Depth Chart Series. I'm not going to ask you to go two or three players deep like we've been doing, but who are
3: your starters in the linebacker room? Uh, all right, so the obvious two was Jacoby and Owen. And in, I'm assuming in, they're inside. Inside. Okay. inside, then I think their backups are, are Chandler Wooten and... I think Riley's an interesting interesting guy. What about Desmond Tisdall? I think that's kind of interesting. We saw more of him last year than anybody else, so I'll go with that. And then as far as your edge players, your outside linebackers, I think you're going to see Derek Hall and, and T.D. Moultrie there. I think those guys have a chance to do that. And then um, maybe with some uh, some depth – Jaron Handy's a guy we've heard a lot about. Derek Mason really likes how versatile he is. And, you know, you can put him on the field as an outside linebacker. And then if, you know, you need to change it to the next play without subbing in, I think you could put his hand on the ground if you wanted to kind of do some versatile things. So I think that's a guy that you've got to look at. And look, last year I was really high on Romello Hyde. I know I just mentioned him. And he's buried on this depth chart right now, but I just think I think they're gonna like how well he moves. I'm a, I've been a big uh, big fan of Romello Height ever since Auburn flipped him from Miami on signing day. I think we start to see some of the the height hype train come to fruition this year. Why are you so high up on Height? Well, because he's so tall, and so no, I, I I think uh, I I think I love his first step. I love his reach. I love his. He's gonna really be able to. I mean, when you're six five, man. I mean, think about how much. There's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do, especially off the edge, especially if you're standing up and when you kind of have some you know level of explosion with that first step. I think it allows you to do a lot of things. And as far as impacting the passing game, you don't have to get a sack to impact the passing game as an edge player. Alter the quarterback's window. I mean, he's gonna he's got a, a ridiculously wide wingspan. He can he's gonna have to make quarterbacks move a little bit just to throw around him. And I think anytime you throw off the, the timing of these, you know, super time specific passing patterns that you three th- see throughout the SEC right now, I, I just, I like that in his game. You know how much I love nicknames.
1: And if Romelo Height ends up getting on this field and contributing on a gamely basis. What are you going with? Oh, I'm all for naming his side of the field, his portion of that defensive line slash linebacker area. I'm all for calling it Romello Heights. okay
3: it's only adding an s to the last name but that that is his area of the field don't venture into it okay I get that corners have an island uh Carlton Davis uh during the playoff run he talked about you know some corners have an island I've got a graveyard um Romello can have uh the heights (laughs) I'm, I'm here for it I am
1: absolutely here for it let's talk about the other side though at the edge position TD Moultrie we thought and we were seeing reports of this, that he might have moved to inside linebacker when we were first hearing that he was going to return to the Plains for his fourth, fifth season, whatever it is. But now he's listed as an edge on the roster. Isn't that the exact same thing that he's been doing all along, though, at Auburn? Is there any differences there? And what gives you confidence that in year four or five now at Auburn, with him coming back and still essentially doing the same thing, that this new coaching staff is going to be able to get more out of Tadari and Moultrie?
3: I think you're going to see these edge players do different things with Derek Mason's scheme than what you saw with like the buck position. Just because I think you're going to be asked to do more. I think you're going to be able to play off ball a little bit might even have to drop back into coverage yeah, at times yeah possibly and I'm sure like they both won't do that on plays I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of mixing and matching as far as who Derek Mason is gonna send on some plays you know confuse the quarterback and and, and all that so I I think it caused to be more versatile I mean this butt position that we saw was just a it was a pass rushing defensive end and I didn't love it's a stand-up defensive end yeah I mean it was just I mean sometimes I mean so I is it similar? I, I, I guess in theory, but as far as like other things that he's going to be able to ask, or be asked to do and things that he is able to do, I think he's going to help the defense a lot more in this scheme than what Kevin Steele's is doing. Switching gears here out of the linebacker room as we're
1: speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. We've recently seen Tyke Smith linked to Auburn, among other schools. Auburn's one of the top-tier programs on his list of schools that have contacted him west virginia defensive back Tyke smith sure we've seen dreshawn miller already transferred auburn not sure if Tyke smith is going to add his name to the auburn defensive backfield right but why do you think auburn's going after all these defensive backs
3: yeah that's super interesting because it's like dreshawn miller was a stud last year and like he comes to auburn and he and may not start. I don't, I don't know how he does, actually. Like, who is he booting out? Who is he beating? I guess Simpson, maybe. That, that's the favorite, I guess, right now. But there's just so much depth there. And even at the safety position, where it's like Chris Thompson deserves to be a starter next year. I think he's that good. I think he's that talented. And the way it's currently lining up, Ladarius Tennyson is going to be the safety next to Smoke Monday, and Tyke Smith is a safety sure. just to differentiate that. I know I said defensive back, sure, but I mean still though, like a lot of versatility though. I mean, yeah. especially when you talk about, you know, is this guy an outside corner, is he an inside corner, is he a nickel? What happens in dime when you know you have less linebackers? So I mean, all of these guys are going to have to play multiple positions as far as versatility goes, and there's just a ton, a ton of depth there. I mean, Kamal Haddon. Who is probably the most like ready guy in this uh, signing class, and like he's probably the fourth or fifth corner on this roster. It's crazy. That is super deep. Marco Domio a guy that we all thought was going to start last year, and Nehemiah Pritchett held on to the job, and boy, he's been impressive. It's you got like, Jamel Dean vibes
1: for Marco Domio considering Jamel Dean transferred to Auburn from Ohio State. Domio transfers to Auburn out of the JUCO ranks, right. but they were both highly touted from very where they big, were coming from.
3: Very physical. Very fast, Both very explosive. With injuries in their first year. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, will Marco Domio win a Super Bowl? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> will, he, will he be the next great Tampa Bay Buccaneer
1: defensive back? Well, the big reason why I ask you about the defensive backfield right now is because you would think that Auburn would be looking to add transfers to the offensive side of the ball. Wide open, wide receiver room. Maybe you go out and try to get a wide receiver that's got some experience right. that can... Help add a little bit more of an element to that wide receiver room that they're missing right now with experience. You know, you need a running back. I don't care if you've got four guys back there now. You still probably need a running back as a depth piece if you wanted to. Yeah, and, you then, need one. Yeah, and I know that Tank Bixby is going to be the guy, but you would still like to have a number two, maybe
3: a little bit uh, more durable than a than a Sean Shivers or, or a Devin Barrett. And, and so, I, this is unpopular, and I've said this on the pod before, Noah, but like, do we know how durable Tank is? I mean, Tank and Shivers both missed time last year with injuries. so You know, a, a large amount yeah. of time. And, like, that's something you've got to consider. With, like, Devin Barrett being the starting guy next year is a very real thing. I mean, it's something you got to consider. Obviously, we hope both of these guys in front of them stay healthy, but... It's something you got to consider. The Auburn running back room has perpetually been in a state of injury over the last couple of years. You even look
1: at it with right. Ruby Whitlow. He dealt with it. We saw too much Cam Martin in our time, I feel like. So yeah. when you're talking about the Auburn running back room, I think that's fair to say. With Tate Bixby, though, I felt like that was kind of a fluke thing. If you get suplexed by a 350-pound guy. I agree, guy, though,
3: man. But like, these running backs just get, so, they get hit so hard. Yeah, it's bound to happen. By, and so many times a game. like It's just... To, to just assume a, a running back, I don't care how big, how in shape, how talented you are, just to assume that a running back will stay healthy all 12 games of the regular season, that is a big thing to assume.
1: Even, even also big to assume in, at the NFL, even some of the best running backs no in the game of football at the next level have a hard time staying healthy all You're year right. long. Look at my guy, Nick Chubb. On the Cleveland Browns, that guy's been hurt multiple times
3: throughout his career. I mean, Nick Chubb, you're talking about one of the most overrated running backs in the league. Oh, don't say that to (laughs) me. Are are we about to fight?
1: No, he is excellent, though. My
3: my starting running back is Sony Michelle. I really can't say anything. (laughs) Who somehow started over Chubb at Georgia, which is amazing to think about. Still continuing on here on Topics for Auburn
1: Football. Another group that we possibly could have seen a, a transfer to was the offensive line. Possibly just because the offensive line's been so weak, but I'm sure they need bodies as well, despite the fact that they've put an emphasis on recruiting the position under this new coaching staff. They, they need guys now, though. Do you think the train has left the station? you think the transfer portal's dried up? you think the swamp has drained? Are there still players out there worth going and getting before the next season ends?
3: I think there will begins? be guys out there to, to go get, especially after this other this spring college football season with you know some smaller schools and smaller teams that are playing, I think there's going to be some some guys that really really impress some coaches. And with this you know the weird transfer rules happening now and you know eligibility really wonky, I think there's going to be guys. It's going to be interesting though because I think the Auburn offensive line has enough bodies. They're just not good or they haven't really yep. figured it out yet. So I don't know if getting more dudes. Is your answer? I think you just need to focus on what you have at the O line on the offensive line and just make those guys better. But a lot of people want you know some wonderful future NFL left tackle to fall out of the sky, and I just don't think it's going to happen.
1: Not many of those exist. Not many of those exist. We're speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast. It's been a great week so far of talking some Auburn football here. Jeremiah Wright goes down with injury. Not some of Gosh. the good news this it's week terrible. that we've been able to talk about obviously you could still get excited about the offseason you could still get excited about the upcoming year with some of our lists that we do and whatnot but Jeremiah Wright going down with injuries some of the negative news of the week what happens to the defensive tackle position or the nose tackle position for Auburn now after that guy was possibly about to usurp Tyrone Truesdale's position
3: yeah and, and I think there's a very real chance that they were both going to play next to each other at the same time but I think moving forward, you look at Truesdale playing next to the guys like Marquise Burks, who Marquise Burks lined up as a starter this past Thursday with uh, with the scrimmage. So I think there's uh, some value there, and then a lot of folks excited about the the freshman, hopefully Phenom Lee Hunter. You know, I, I think his path to playing time got a little bit easier. I mean, he's there's gonna more have to space be to on that line. <laughs> no, there, there's absolutely. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So. I think uh, I think Auburn fans should be excited about Lee Hunter. His path to playing time becomes a lot more clear and, and and easy. And Marquise Burks, I mean, look, this is a guy that I was excited about last year. And in fact, I thought we would see him more than we did a year ago. We we just didn't because they didn't really play a whole lot of the new arrivals last year on the defensive side of the football. They just they just didn't. That was a decision they made as a coaching staff. The only one you really saw was Tennyson, and you only saw him when Tut went down. So I think that's just, kind of, uh, that's just kind of what you dealt with.
1: Last question here to you. We discussed this on Monday after you hear about what happened last week in the scrimmage. Maybe we talked about it on Friday, but I haven't been able to ask you this question yet. We heard that the defense won the scrimmage. There were a lot of turnover issues, penalty issues on the offensive side of the football. Do you consider this more so promising? that the defense is looking to bounce back this year, that they win the first scrimmage, or do you
3: determine this to be more concerning for the offensive side of the ball that they're having this much struggles early on? The defense should win every scrimmage in the spring because it just takes so much time to, to put an offense together. Look, I mean, just the way football is, and my, my, uh, my high school football coach said this all the time, the offense, you would cut, if you were doing surgery and cutting someone open, if you were using the offense as a tool, it is a scalpel. Very thin, very precise. Everything is done with, you know, ev- like every specific detail in mind. It's surgical. Then on the defensive side, you know how you're opening them up? With a shotgun. Like you are just, it doesn't matter. Just everywhere in your face, absolute aggression. And, and so I, I say that to say early on in practices, if one guy messes up on offense, the play falls apart on defense several guys can can mess up but if one dude makes the play it's fine so there's just so much more that goes into an offensive play than a defensive play and that's why defensive defenses usually win plays that's just kind of how it goes and then the exciting things are when the you know the 90 yard bomb passes or you know you break away a, a long touchdown that's why those are exciting cuz they don't happen as much and it's it's hard it's much harder to succeed on offense than it is on defense Zach, I appreciate you
1: taking the time to hop on with us today on this fantastic Wednesday. Tell everybody where they can find all the
3: great stuff you're putting out there, my man. Locked on Auburn, wherever you get your podcast. Talk to Jamie and Sherwood on today's show, the former Auburn safety. He had some interesting things to say about Bo Nix. Uh, some cool things to say about Smoke Monday. They were best buddies uh, in their Auburn playing days. They still are. And, of course, to him talking about his NFL draft journey. So, yeah, check that out and a whole lot more. Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate it, my man.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you here on the show. Find us on Twitter at PointGardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast for joining us in that previous segment. If you missed any of this show or if you ever miss a show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. It's all there. You can find it at those locations. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Wednesday, and that means the Masked Singer is on Fox at 7. It's the Group B wildcard round, with Group B appearing for the second time this season. And the wildcard looks to steal a spot in the competition. Following the show at 8, Game of Talents will be on Fox as well. Jurassic Park was on last night, so let's go with the sequel this evening. The Lost World Jurassic Park is on AMC at 6. If you're a fan of the old James Bond movies, Goldfinger is on BBC at 5.30. Anti-hero movie with Venom on F. FX at seven Matt Damon stars in the Martian at 635 on FX movies no NCAA tournament tonight but you can turn to the NBA for some basketball and live sports action two games are on ESPN beginning at 6 30 it'll be the Dallas Mavericks at the Boston Celtics moving to nine the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers collide in a battle between two teams that are in the top four of both the Eastern and Western conferences I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight Back on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line The drive with Bill Cameron. That's your location for all of those fantastic shows. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. About two minutes left here in hour number one. And just a quick topic going back to the ncaa tournament and how cinderella's still dancing date with dynasty and gonzaga coming up as well in the final four on saturday and i was perusing the internet i was on twitter earlier and i saw something that titus and tate said and that's a fox sports show that it's kind of they talk a lot of college basketball and i was I was going through Twitter, scrolling, and then I saw something that they said that I thought was interesting. They were trying to decide whether or not UCLA had returned to a status of a blue blood in college basketball. And I asked myself, have they ever even left? Can you lose your blue blood status? I don't I don't think you can. Like, I don't think you lose that. I mean, you think no, that? Like, I think you can only gain it. I, I, I think you only become royalty, right?
2: Yeah. Like, you're not gonna just lose it because you're always going to carry that weight of what your history was. I mean, this team's not that far removed from a Final Four. I mean, yeah, it was the last one was in 2008. That's what 13 years ago, but still, like, that's at least within the past 15 years. You think of a team like you. The way I equate it to is you think about like football where there are teams that you still consider to be these perennial football schools and universities when they really haven't done anything recently. And I mean like Kansas, they're still considered and they haven't done anything
1: recently either. So like I don't think you can lose it. They have the most national titles out of any team in college basketball. They never lost it. They are the blue blood. Yes. So I would I wish we had more time to get into it. We'll talk about later. That's it for hour number 1 of online. When we come back, we continue our 8-day depth chart series. You don't want to miss it. We're talking linebackers. Stay with us.
0: You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Find Levi at I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater. Live with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama. On Facebook, to keep up with the latest going on in sports, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on FoxSports983.com, and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. Once again, the number to call to get you through to On the Line, 334-321-1390. We are taking your calls on a wide range of sports topics. We'll talk anything in the sports world, so bring it our way here. Once again, 334 321 Thirteen ninety headed back to our 8a depth chart series here with the linebacker group and we've already talked about the inside linebackers now it's on to the outside linebackers i think this group has some potential but definitely lagging behind the inside linebacker room
2: yeah i mean there's there's a lot of guys who could who could like show potential show flashes and really come up and play meaningful minutes it's just when you're looking at the top with the inside linebackers with what you have with Owen Papo, Kobe McClain, it's it's hard it's hard for these guys to achieve that level of what the inside linebackers are just because of how good and talented that we view Kobe McClain and Owen Papo. So it's gonna be hard for these guys to really make a name for themselves in terms of the whole scope of linebacker. They could they could be really good outside linebackers, but it's going to be hard for them to usurp the role of the best linebackers that you're trotting out there who the guys you think of when you think of Auburn's linebackers
1: the guy that's closest to doing it I called Owen Papo the Swiss army knife of the defense if there's a Swiss army knife of the pass rushers the edge players it's going to be Derek Hall I believe this man to be truly a 3-4 outside linebacker his best trait is rushing is rushing the passer but I do feel comfortable with him accomplishing other outside linebacker duties due to his athleticism and ability to move i think he moves well he's got a good frame to be able to drop back into coverage he's athletic i feel more comfortable with him dropping back into coverage than td moultrie or jaron handy
2: 100 percent.
1: so i feel like he's more well rounded than the other guys which is a trait that is seen more in a 3-4 outside linebacker than that of a traditional buck which td moultrie was molded into a traditional buck the leader of this group the number one guy here at outside linebacker for me which we're going to say two starting outside linebackers because i'm holding true to this three four scheme Derek hall one of those guys that's going to line up stand up and pass rush from that outside linebacker position but i could see him asked to do other things part of this intricate Derek mason defense that's being brought to the plains he could be asked to drop back into coverage in order to confuse quarterbacks wouldn't be shocked I know this is kind of a weird thing to say for a guy who played defensive line last year. Wouldn't be shocked if this guy ended up with an interception because a quarterback wasn't paying attention to Derek Hall sneakily dropping back into coverage based I, on maybe someone else along the line or, or or TD Mulcher on the other side of the line pass rushing and not expecting him to drop back into coverage.
2: Yeah, dropping a guy or lining a guy like Derek Hall up on that edge position and then you know him looking like he's about to blitz off the edge and then just kind of Dropping back a little bit and sneaking off, and maybe the quarterback has a bad read. And the Quick next thing you know, Slant
1: over the middle, and he he's dropped, dropped back, and then boom, if interception. If anybody
2: plays Madden, you've probably done that before
1: all the time you, are you
2: seeing you you're, all the time you're sitting there looking at that formation beforehand you're going it irritates oh. me the most oh you're looking at it and you're going dude that's I'm slant. like I
1: just threw a pick to a defensive lineman and yeah. you,
2: you see the slant is open like you read it you're like dude I got man on the outside I've got this receiver he's gonna beat him who and, am I Jared
1: Stidham I just threw you, to a defensive lineman
2: and then you look <laughs> at it and you've already pressed that button and you're getting that throw going and you see him just start Standing up and bat pedaling you're like, oh, here we go. I, I'm with you though. It's I can confusing. See, yeah, it's that. That's why people do it. That's why. Yeah. That's why defensive like. That's why defensive coordinators and coaches do that because it confuses the quarterback. I'm with you on this. I think Derek Hall. It completely could blanks do that.
1: my mind too. And I know I'm not a real quarterback, but like when that happens to me on a video game. It completely blanks my mind. I'm like, who was I throwing to again? What what was I reading? What's going on? Always What's my shocks play? You. There's For no, like a split you. second, it completely jars your confidence in the play. And I think that happens in real life, too, to quarterbacks out there oh, on yeah. the field because their, their mind goes to where their first read is. But then when they see something abnormal on defense that they don't see hardly ever, they have to all of a sudden make sense of that. And that split second where they have to try and make sense of that Ninety-five percent of quarterbacks in college football struggle with that split second, and it affects the entire outcome of the play. That's why I'm really excited about Derek, Mason, and what he's bringing to this Auburn defense because there's intricacy, there's it's, mixed looks, and it's going to confuse quarterbacks. In yeah, league. it's not
2: going to be rigid schemes. Like you're going to see a diverse look of different blitz packages, different coverage packages, like just different guys doing different things. And even if you don't like, even if Derek Hall shows that he's blitzing, drops back into coverage and maybe like a shallow flat or maybe just in like that middle zone right there, and the quarterback doesn't throw it straight to it. Like maybe he has to adjust. Like you just said, 95 – like most quarterbacks in college football, they can't make that read. Like a lot of guys get flustered when their first read is gone, and you don't see them go through the progressions. They panic. And then the next thing you know, you're either getting a sack or you're getting an overthrow. You're getting a guy running out of the pocket, throwing it away. Like you're going to get something beneficial when you confuse teams with a look like this, and I think Derek Hall fits that mold very well. He's a guy who could do a lot of things. Primarily, he's gonna. Primarily, you're wanting him on the edge. You're wanting him getting after the quarterback. You're wanting him pass rushing, but he has the ability in a Derek to Ma- do more than yes, that. he has the ability in a Derek Mason defense to every now and then drop back into coverage, confuse some guys, get them off their rock, like just get them off kilter make him feel kind of like whoa this guy's been rushing me all game and then all of a sudden now he's back in coverage I I didn't know what to do there's an interception there's a bad play I like this guy like I like what he brings to the table in Derek Mason's defense at that edge position the outside linebacker
1: well the other edge starter that I believe is going to take this spot TD Moultrie Now, this other spot could be Jaron Handy. It's one of these two guys, and I still think we see Jaron Handy a lot, and he was fairly effective last season as a pass rusher. So this is kind of 1A, 1B at that other outside linebacker spot because if TD Moultrie doesn't get it done pretty quickly, I think you could see more of Jaron Handy. Both of these guys have experience doing doing this. As a pass rusher, I think that's primarily what they offer because of how large they are. Both of them are north of 250 pounds. That looks like a defensive lineman more so. They look more like defensive linemen, pass rushing, defensive ends, than they do outside linebackers. But I believe they are moved back to this position as edge players because that's what they are listed as. They're no longer listed as defensive end or defensive tackle. They are listed purely as edge. That's why I think when you asked me this earlier in the show – you said, do you think we see T.D. Moultrie at inside linebacker? And I said, I don't. I know there were some reports when he was when he was deciding to come back to the Plains. I know there were some reports that he could play inside linebacker. They listed him as edge on the roster. Those are those are vastly different positions to me and yeah, what they're going to be asking him to do in the 3-4. And so T.D. Moultrie, I believe we're still going to see him as an edge player still pass rushing primarily I wonder how much changes for him in this scheme. We asked Zach about that too when he was on with us earlier in the show. If you missed that conversation, I think you'll really enjoy it. He had a lot of great insights about the linebacker room and this defense as a whole. So go and check that out wherever you get your podcast. It'll be up right after the show today. I wonder how much changes for him in this scheme because look, he was largely ineffective as a pass rusher at Auburn this whole time. He's been very underwhelming. When you talk about how much of a beast this dude was in high school and how highly regarded he was coming out of high school as a recruit the guy has underwhelmed up to this point you know there's a joke that he is the main offsides guy on this defense and I think the reason why he's offside so often is because he's trying to overcompensate for a lack of speed for a lack of a quick first step and if that doesn't get better here I still wonder if they're asking him to be a pass rusher How much better is he really going to get just because the coaching staff changed? He is in year four or five now, and most development for a player at this point it's already occurred. But it's never too late. You can teach a, you know, some people say that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but it's very possible here with this guy because I I think there's a lot of talent at the base for TD Moultrie, and I think he does end up starting. He
2: has a lot of talent; it just hasn't came to fruition yet, and maybe. Maybe a new cha- like a change of scenery in terms of like the change of coaching staff,
1: and he probably May- will be asked to do something slightly different based off of this new scheme. But and I still I, think he's primarily a pass rusher.
2: I think he's primarily a pass rusher. I don't know like what he's going to bring from the coverage standpoint. Like I he's I think he is locked into outside linebacker. I don't know if he's locked into starting
1: just imagine yeah. a world td moultrie getting an interception
2: man that like it just doesn't make sense to me because we because of what we've seen him as we've seen him as the buck most of the year that world like, just doesn't. is known
1: as madden 21 if it ha- <laughs> if it happens
2: I'm, I'm gonna i'm logging this in the brain this is in the vault right now you're the first person who gets text if he yeah. gets an interception i appreciate 100%. that i'm gonna log that in the brain be like do you see that
3: i Did appreciate see what that
2: but will we see it i don't know he doesn't really fit in the inside linebacking room to me like he's going to be outside guy i i'm split on this dude because of his lack of speed that's what kills me it's it's the speed i don't know if he can drop some weight and i was
1: super excited about him moving to inside linebacker because we know that's what he was recruited as and then they decided to move him from his natural position just like so often this coach staff did previously before Brian Harson, but let's move on from Moultrie because we're running out of time in the segment we got about four more minutes in this segment before we got to go to break so let's get to some of the backups here I said 1b was Jaron Handy Jaron Handy was fairly effective last year as a pass rusher I think he did make the most of the snaps that he got and now with a year of experience under his belt the guy could end up being more dangerous this season maybe he does start I don't think that there is a big difference between TD Moultrie and Jaron Handy right now or or, or I don't think there's a big distance between the two on the depth chart I should say so I don't think there's a large I don't think there's a lot of space separating these two on the depth chart it very well could be handy right now in front of Moultrie when you're talking about evaluating these guys for the spring at the edge position but He could pass Moultrie on the depth chart if Moultrie fails to improve as a pass rusher. Fairly effective last season in pass rushing scenarios. I think when you look at Jaron Handy, what you see is what you get. That's what he's doing right now. He's not really a robust player. As Lance likes to say, he's not really Uh, a round round. player, meaning he's not well-rounded. He's not an all-around player. He's more of just a pass rusher. But that's fine. That's what they're asking these guys to do, specifically this spot. So I think you see Jaron Handy quicker than you see the last guy on my list Romello height but as we had Zach on earlier in the show Zach loves this guy
2: yeah like I mean I think we see him pretty early I wouldn't be surprised if it's him over TD Moultrie I wouldn't under like TD
1: Moultrie drops like lead and water to the bottom of the depth chart I don't know if he drops to the bottom but like I wouldn't be surprised just ahead of Romello height but behind Jaron Handy yeah like
2: I wouldn't be surprised in that regard just because you're looking at the coaching staff and they don't have this uh, we keep saying this over and over again but they don't have that allegiance to players like they don't have to put a guy in if they don't want to put him in. Like they're they're building for their job and for their future. They might value a guy who has, you know, two, what, three more years, I guess, of eligibility if you're counting the the extra COVID year. You could have two or three more years of a guy like Jared Handy and that might that might be more appealing even if he comes off as less talented at the moment than T D Moultrie to this coaching staff. They might value that they could have this guy for two to three more years down the line like they might value something like that but I, we don't know like that's just it's one of those positions that this one's like a really hard position to actually fill out because we don't know what td moultrie is going to look like moving into this position from where he's been playing buck the past you know under the previous regime
1: Romelo height last on my depth chart here at outside linebacker the fourth guy in terms of once again just kind of telling people how I viewed the outside linebacker or just the linebacker position in general. I've said, these are your starters, and then I've kind of treated it like a basketball lineup. Who's your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth man in basketball? You know, the guys most likely to get playing time after that starting five. But with the outside linebacker and the inside linebacker groups, I've said, all right, who are your starters? And then who's most likely to get playing time and experience at these spots? Because I kind of think when you look at it it's it's symmetrical in the defense with how these guys are going to be asked to do things the inside linebackers are going to be asked to do pretty much the same things the outside linebackers are going to be asked to pretty much do the same things so how quickly do these guys get in because they can probably slot at either at either side of the defense whether it be you know wh- whichever inside linebacker spot and whichever outside linebacker spot so Romelo Hyde at four for me just by looking at his frame yeah, his, i think oof. i think your jaw should drop when you his, see this kid's frame. athleticism his six frame, foot five man looks like he should be playing basketball and uh so how refined his game is though will determine his playing time i think he's a raw talent I think he's got a lot of athleticism i think the guys in front of a much more refined exactly how much how does how much influence does derrick mason have on
2: him
0: more of on the line on the other side of this break we'll be right back you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you could join the show. We want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the radio alabama sports facebook page follow it on twitter as well at radio al sports once again that's radio alabama sports.net wrapped up our 8a depth chart series in our previous segment going over the linebacker room i felt like it was the easiest group to evaluate that we've done so far baby other than running back and quarterback
2: i mean like we know like we know what we're getting and we know about like what guys are like we know the two guys who are locked in and then in terms of the next guy's up. It's like we don't really like, ha- we're not really putting anybody ahead of anybody behind them because we're like, look, we, whichever one comes, whichever one comes, you're probably not going to see many people, especially behind Owen Papo and Zacoby McClain. The edges, a little bit more diverse, like, a little bit harder in terms of like maybe somebody usurps TD Moultrie, maybe he doesn't. Other than that, pretty cut and dry with these, with these position groups.
1: Now it's time to welcome intern Sting, now agent. Sting as we are debuting a new segment here headed to talk some college baseball now this segment now going to be called Behind Enemy Baselines with Agent Sting who is going to be providing us basically scouting reports it's a get to know your opponent segment now for Auburn Baseball and we're going to dive into the top three opponent that is the Arkansas Razorbacks and the substantial challenge that is facing Currently the 0-6 SEC Auburn Tigers. Sting, welcome into the show. How you doing today, my friend?
4: I'm doing great, No, I got your scouting report right here. I'm back from my mission.
1: <laughs> I love how serious he's taking this. Yeah. In the future, we are going to have a bumper for this. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make it sound cool. It's a Mission Impossible like I'm vibes or what I'm going for. I know he was when I told him this. He just lit up. So all right. So what you got I, on? I think what we you need to dangle Arkansas? him
2: from the ceiling before that. We need to watch him <laughs> just drop. Just Get me yes. in the zone. Or, watch him drop in. or make him come through the window. Something cool. Make him cut a hole in the window and just hop in.
1: So that's a no. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I'm
4: need one of those laser things.
1: Or he could just walk in through the door. Sting, what oh, you got? That's my not man? boring. Not <laughs> as fun.
4: All right. <laughs> So I just want to start with a little bit of background here on the Arkansas Razorbacks. They're coached by Dave Van Horn, who is in his 19th season with the program, and they have reached the NCAA tournament 17 times in the last 18 tries. The only miss was the 2016 season, and the Razorbacks have also reached the College World Series six times under Van Horn.
1: So now that we've established that Arkansas is Are one of the greatest programs in college baseball over the last, what was that, 18 years?
4: Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, six uh, College World Series appearances, one uh, runner-up in 2018.
1: Even they're, they're even, look, let's just be real, not even just limited to the last 18 years. Arkansas is still one of the most storied programs in college baseball. What's a little bit more specific to what's going on with Arkansas right now?
4: Well, right now, they're 20-3 and three overall. They're ranked in the top three in five of the six most relevant polls that I was able to find. They're ranked in the top three. Only one of those six had them at number 5. The rest, they were 3, 2, or 1. And the last game that they played was last night against Central Arkansas. Uh, the Razorbacks won twenty-one to eight. Someone A, hit
1: for the cycle.
4: Yes, yep. Robert Moore hit for the cycle, and Arkansas had eleven extra base hits on the night, including five home runs.
1: As I was watching that video because I, I, I saw it on social media, I can't remember where I saw it, probably SEC Network, not sure though, and I was I was on Twitter and I saw it and I was like, man, I, I know he's a kid and look, this guy's probably going to have MLB aspirations if he was able to just hit for the cycle, but like, you're still young and you're still, you know, brown-eyed, bushy tails, you're, you're, you're still just, you know, you're living on a prayer, you're, you're you've got dreams, you know, you haven't made it to the big leagues yet. Like, if a big leaguer hits for the cycle, it's still probably really cool, but it's like, they've had major accomplishments in the past. Like, that's that guy's one of his first probably major accomplishments he's had at a very competitive level of baseball. I imagine I like what was that like to think, man, I just hit for the cycle. I, I think yeah. it I don't think it doesn't matter at
2: any level. I think you hit for the cycle at little True. league, red uh, travel ball, college baseball, major league baseball, minor leagues, it doesn't matter. If you hit for the cycle, that's awesome. Like I like you know, especially when you're that age though, like the college age kid because your emotions are a lot higher. You're I'd lot be going
1: wild. That would not be the. I would not be the guy to play it cool. Oh no!
2: I always told I'd people going if I, no. I. always told people if I hit a home run in any like if I was playing like Major League Baseball, they get mad about them taking their time. Oh, you see me walking like I'm, <laughs> I'm flipping the bat. I don't know if I'd walk. Oh, I, that was no. never me when I'm I hit walk, home runs, like,
1: but I'm enjoying
2: every single second of it because I'm sitting there probably Make it going take as long as possible. Oh, I'm enjoying every second of it. Cause what are they going to do next time? They're going to hit me and I'm going to get on base.
1: <laughs> that's so true, unless you, you know, break a limb because they hit you in... Workers' comp. <laughs>
2: hey, That's fair.
1: Guaranteed uh, money just, in the majors, hey, right?
4: Secure in the bag, man.
1: <laughs> Sting, what uh, else you got, my man?
4: All right, so now i got some players to watch for everybody to pay attention to this weekend. The first one is Matt Goodhart, preseason first-team All-SEC-designated hitter. And for good reason. He has three thirteen batting average, six home runs, and 14 RBIs on the season. So... Beware of him. Oh.
1: <laughs> beware of him. Yeah. Be aware of him. I love in our intelligence meeting here about <laughs> Arkansas baseball. Sting just rolls and he's like, Yeah. Beware. Beware of him. That guy. He's he's a pretty he's dangerous. dangerous dude. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, you know, top down though for this Arkansas lineup, pretty deep group. You look at Arkansas as a team batting two seventy eight, which ranks middle of the pack right now, but you talk about it, they have the most home runs in the SEC right now with forty excuse me, second most. They're behind LSU, who has forty two, they have forty. So they've got big bats. They yeah. can clobber. They may not be hitting for average, but this team can still score some runs.
4: Yeah. Next one is catcher Casey Opitz, 22 hits, extra, uh, and as well as eight of those are for extra bases. And pitcher Kevin Copps, he has a 4-0 record with a 1.06 ERA and 20, 29 strikeouts to six walks on the Ooh, season.
1: How many innings? How many innings for those 29 strikeouts? I think
4: it was around 17.
1: Okay, so he's wrong. a bullpen he's a, he, guy.
4: Yeah, he's a reliever guy
1: uh-oh. That's not good. I don't like to see that. I don't like to see, and big part of that is Auburn may be playing from behind this weekend, and if Auburn's trying to make a comeback, that guy's going to put it on ice. Yeah,
4: I agree for sure. All right, and then the next thing I got, I have a little x-factor here, just kind of one player on Arkansas's roster that people should watch out for can make some things happen got their backup catcher charlie welch he's only played in six games this season but in those games he has put together an on-base percentage of 588 and hit two home runs and i put them as an x-factor because how many at-bats do we have on this fellow i'm gonna need to pull that up again but it wasn't a lot because it was only uh six games sounds like a pinch hit i think it may have been or possibly just a 13 at-bats
1: possibly a pinch hit threat yeah I don't feel like yeah. you talk about catchers that way, but still, possibly. Yeah, I just, a that's pinch why I put threat. him there
4: was because I feel like a lot of catchers don't get a whole lot of credit for their batting ability. Usually, they're just not threats at the plate. So, and I
1: then thought, I think you've also got a most interesting name. Yeah, just I do something have a for most interesting
4: name. Yeah, just kind of a little last little fun note to end it on. Uh, starting pitcher Zebulon Vermilion. Twenty-eight point two That's out of this world. That now, that that's just not fair.
2: That's just not
4: fair. It's a like, lot of silver.
2: What are they doing? Recruiting? I was like they're recruiting guys from Mars now. Like that's just not fair. got from space. The
4: pipeline. <laughs> they got the pipeline <laughs> going, going
1: on. Hey, that's what happened when your state has a lottery, right? You can go and recruit in space. <laughs>
4: yeah. I <laughs> uh, see. So yeah, Vermilion's a pretty good pitcher too. Or
1: if uh, you know somebody who owns Walmart or started Walmart is a major is a major donor to university, then you can go to space. <laughs> yeah. So that that's 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 good stuff. Zebulon yeah. Vermillion. What's his stat line look like? Is he good?
4: Yeah, he is pretty good. He's got 28.2 innings pitched, two and record with a 3.14 ERA. So, so. A reliever, he's all right. Yeah, no, I believe he actually started. He's appeared in six games and five of them have been starts. Really?
1: Okay, so yeah. maybe they're midweek guy. We may not see him. I don't know. That doesn't. Maybe not. That seems like I don't a little think he started last. That's night. a little low for innings pitched at this point this season. If you're a traditional like, I think starter,
4: I think that's his. Ho- the highest uh, innings pitched on the roster, I'm pretty sure it was. Wow, twenty-eight point okay. two. Yeah,
1: it feels like that's a little that's a little low at this point. But I guess if you you think about it, that's about if you really
4: if you only play one game a week, that's I a mean, little
1: over five innings to start. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a good point. Maybe I'm just a little a little bit too far ahead. I felt like well, you're twenty-eight. Just thinking was little,
4: there's been so many games. Yeah, as but
1: it really hasn't been. If you think about it, we're right. still early. We're still right. early.
4: It's Twenty-three games for Arkansas, but yeah, I think that checks out if you play one yeah, game right. a week. You're yeah, that's right. You're right.
1: I was wrong. That's right. Yeah. I was I was a little ahead of myself there. I feel like it's maybe the season. I, f- I feel like it's a little bit further along than it actually is, yeah. but it's, it's it's definitely not. It is still early if you if you look at it. You still got twenty four SEC games left in the schedule. So and this is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. Right, no Sunday folks out there. No Sunday out there. Uh, so people are going to be joining Easter Sunday. Hopefully those Tigers are back in town to be able to enjoy Easter Sunday. But it is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series. This week for Auburn Baseball against Arkansas and Fayetteville. Tigers got to get one out of three, Sting. We're not going to have you on the show tomorrow when we make our pick for the series. How many do you think the Tigers get? Zero, one, two, or three?
4: For the sake of optimism, I'll say one. I love it. But
1: optimistic and he says one <laughs> yeah
4: that, <laughs> i mean that just shows
2: what they're going against right now like yeah. if your if your optimism is we're going to take one out of the i three had an
1: optimism back for old miss and for kentucky i had i had two out of three against kentucky boy was i wrong Oof. yeah it almost happened for all miss I, I felt like there were finite margins separating auburn and old miss in that series because you only lost by one run in the first two games And then against Kentucky, though same type of margins, but still you got swept against a team that you probably should have took two out of three against.
2: At least you should have at least taken one. Like you should have at the very least taken one of those games, especially if you're getting swept. And if Auburn
1: does take one against Kentucky, I'm still like, all right, the grave's not dug. Alabama's one at five right now. LSU's one at five right now. We're we're okay but you're still not happy
2: like you're still panicking you're still smashing the panic yeah button you're regardless. still like, man
1: things have to turn around but you're 0 6 right now and you're about to go to the number one team in the in the yeah, nation yeah. and and like Alabama and LSU at least already have Arkansas has been the number one team in the nation in some polls but I, I know they're not there right now Ole Miss and Vanderbilt are higher than Arkansas in most polls at the moment despite the fact that Arkansas just swept Mississippi State this past weekend no mercy this past uh, weekend
4: baseball america has arkansas as the number one team but really? that's it okay yeah the others are two and three
1: yeah ole miss is six no in the sec at the moment after sweeping alabama and auburn and then vanderbilt as good of a pitching staff in the country as you could possibly see that vanderbilt pitching staff 2.19 team era they're batting 309 too that vanderbilt team man i don't know if there's a team better than them in baseball 30 minutes left in the show that does it for our newest segment with Sting here behind enemy baselines. We'll be back on the other side of this break.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater, ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Fun lines are open, 334-321-1390 1, is the number to call to join on the line. We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. 1, Did our 8 day depth chart series throughout the show, went over the linebackers, had Zach Blackerby of the Lockdown Auburn podcast with us as well talk some sec baseball it's been a great show here so far if you missed any of it go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast we're about 30 minutes out from the drive with bill cameron and dan peck stay tuned for that part of our seven hours of local sports talk radio on espn 1067 let's go back to the ncaa tournament here discussion that we were starting at the end of our number one but didn't get to finish and i want to dive into this a little bit more i was on twitter earlier or facebook or wherever i saw this and Titus and Tate, they do a show on Fox Sports about college basketball, and they were asking whether or not UCLA has returned to the status of blue blood just because they went to the Final Four this year. And I asked myself in that moment, did they ever leave? Is it possible to lose your blue blood status?
2: Like I don't think so, unless like you have to get a like you have to get the death penalty. Like you have to have like an issue where you are just wiped off the face. Of college basketball, or just have abysmal years, like you had to like completely do a one eighty and be completely and utterly irrelevant past when you like became that blue blood. And I don't think ucla has done that. like I don't think I, mean, I just don't think that there's a possibility that UCLA could have ever lost it because I mean, they were if I'm not mistaken, they were in the elite eight or sweet sweet sixteen playing against Kentucky a few years ago. And we're in that, that was game. With Lonzo. Yeah, with Lonzo Ball, where they w- were right in the thick of things. They were in the Final Four in 2008 with Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook as well. I just don't see a situation where like UCLA ever lost it because they've had competitive teams over the years. Have they reached the mountaintop recently? No, but there are teams that hadn't for a while. I mean, you—it's so hard to win a basketball championship that you like, especially now with how. Like, the social media age, it kind of spreads out more teams. It has more teams kind of in the picture. Like, you see teams on TV that you wouldn't have... Like, that kids and recruits wouldn't have seen on their televisions beforehand. Like, Gonzaga can benefit by... They're always in the forefront, even though they're in a smaller conference, because people see them. Same with teams like Wichita State, where, like, you would have not been hearing about these teams in, you know, not the social media the technology era that we're in right now. If you were a high profile player, you were thinking, well, I'm gonna go to Duke. I'm gonna go to Kentucky, I'm gonna go to North Carolina, Kansas, I'm gonna go to one of those schools or UCLA. Like I'm going to one of those schools. Now it kind of spreads it out more. So it's going to be harder for the Blue Bloods to win as much as they used to simply for the fact that it's harder to get recruits there. I don't I don't think they ever lost it. I'm with you. Like I don't think they're the most winning they're the winningest program of all time i mean like they're
1: 11 national championships is the most yeah. out of any team in college basketball history A look at their record over the last you know we'll just keep going we'll, we'll just go back each season here individual and i'll let you know what year it was this year they're 22 and 9 last year they went 19 and 12 in 2018, 2019, they did go 17 and 16. So, not good. They have missed the tournament the past two seasons. I understand that. Not very good. But 2017, 2018, they went 21 and 12, did make the NCAA tournament. 2016, 2017, that was that 30 win team that you were talking about that lost in the Sweet 16 to Kentucky. Probably should have went further, but at some point, you do run into a team that's just as good as you. And that typically does happen in the Sweet 16. That UCLA team was 31 and 5. Before that, added down to your 15 and 17. Before that, 22 and 14 went to the tournament. Twenty-eight, nine in the tournament. Twenty-five and ten in the tournament. They have only had a, a couple of losing seasons here and there. But my my question to you is: Is North Carolina no longer a blue blood because they had a losing season last year and they were kind of average this year? I Maybe mean, like no. No. I mean, no. UCLA
2: made three straight Final Four appearances: two thousand six, two thousand seven, and two thousand eight. Like I mean,
1: that's you don't just strip
2: it away. Like yes,
1: there's they only it. one program that I might say has lost blue blood status over the years because it has been happening for so long like it's it has been about 20 years now since we've really seen like consistent periods of success that one team i would say is indiana yeah
2: i mean i can agree with that yeah like you if have it's to,
1: possible you for someone to, to lose blue blood status the royalty of college basketball you, i still think indiana is a blue blood though because assembly hall is one of the meccas of college basketball like one of the most unique facilities one of the most unique arenas that you could be in to watch a basketball game and people still revere indiana like if indiana contacts you for recruiting you're listening even if they've been down the last little bit you're still listening and they still recruit at a pretty high level they still bring in Top tier recruits—they've just been underwhelming and haven't been able to get it done on a consistent basis, and that stretches back to NCAA violations that they had in the mid 2000s that hurt the program a lot. Tom Crean even had them back as a one seed. I still regard Indiana with the amount of national championships that they won, and their history still as a blue blood. They're just of—they're just—they're not king status, you know. They're like a—they're like a—I I don't know I, I, what, what is a what is another royalty term. <laughs> a duke Duke, yeah they're like a duke you know
2: a duke a duke in terms of the royalty status not a duke in terms of the basketball school
1: but speaking of the basketball school i think it's more likely that a team can ascertain blue blood status that wasn't originally like duke and i think duke is the only one to have done that up to this point because their history before coach k got there was not that great
2: not great and he transformed them into a basketball school and have and like or just in an anything school, they weren't good at anything. Yeah, like they've become like that was the first sport, like that was their sport. Like they became basketball school.
1: But college basketball and Duke are now synonymous, so I think you have to yes. say that they have they, they have yeah. found their way into into royalty through whatever means it was. But they, they made it there.
2: If Indiana, the to like counterpoint, you when you are talking about, but if anybody like lost they, it, it's Indiana. And I don't think that's true because think about this: like if Indiana within the next two years went on a deep tournament run. You're talking like everybody's talking about them. The blue bloods, they're back. Like you know what I mean. Like they're not. You don't just lose it. Like it you takes still one. say
1: one of the most storied programs in college basketball history.
2: If they rip off one good tournament run, or you know, a couple of if they run like two to three like successful seasons, it doesn't have to be a Final Four. Like it could be like some Sweet Sixteen, some Elite Eights, even just making the tournament here and there. You're you're back to like remembering yeah. Indiana, and then the next time when they break through, like you you don't forget it. Like it's. It's very easy. Like you might lose um, pedigree and might fall down the pecking order of the blue bloods, but I don't think you lose it. Like you, I don't think you can ever have that stripped away because everybody is always going to think of Indiana.
1: Your royalty, yeah. You I may mean, abdicate for a little yeah, bit. You think but of Assembly royalty.
2: Hall. You think of Bobby Knight. Like you think like of the John Wooden, Hoosiers. Like you think of like you think of stuff movie. like that. Like that's that does not go away, and it's the like it was the way with in football comparison like notre dame before they had a little bit of recent success with brian kelly they were living in the past and you i mean they still kind of are because they haven't really won one since then but they're never going to lose their status because it's notre dame that was who they were rudy is a thing like they are they, they have transcended having to win anymore they're always going to be a brand and that's just how indiana is even if you think they're lost like ucla 11 national championships. They went to three straight Final Fours. You know how hard it is to go to three straight Final Fours? 2006 to 2008. Three of them things. That's so hard to do in college basketball. This team, like, they might have been down, but they have the good, they, yeah, I hear that, yeah. Did you say Houston did it? Houston did it. way back in the day as well. And uh, it's it's hard for, like, it's hard for you to remember, like, man, this team used to be so good. They're a little bit down, but they have a good coach now. Mick Cronin has brought defense and a winning culture that he brought from Cincinnati. You know, maybe not like the winningest culture, but it seems to be working out there and it's got them to a Final Four and it's got them back in the forefront of college basketball.
1: Also, I even think the name Blue Blood kind of insinuates something that is like inherent. Yeah. Because blood is inside you. It's kind of like what makes you up. And... Just because a program is a blue blood, doesn't necessarily mean that every year they are at least right now. They like I'm not gonna say that they can't have down seasons here and there because UCLA's had those. So it so is North Carolina, Duke's having a bad one this Kentucky, year, Kentucky. Kentucky. Like all it those blue bloods are down right now. You know, like they they did not have a good year this year. That does not make them not blue bloods anymore. Like that 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 that's that's preposterous. So because I think it's part of the history that's built into it it's 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 in their lineage it's in their history you know what i mean so i think that's what makes them a blue blood but just because you're a blue blood doesn't make you immune to maybe having a little bit of a down stretch in your history and like i already mentioned with indiana ucla even so to a degree because after indiana i think you do look to ucla for teams that have had longer periods of not having success on the national stage ucla definitely has been grouped to that point but when i think of college basketball's uh you know elite histories ucla is there man and that doesn't change just because you've had a couple of down seasons here or there and even in the last five years even the last five seasons they've had three 20 plus win seasons and all of which of those last five years they've had winning seasons one of which a 30 plus win season and a trip to the sweet 16 and now they're in the final four i mean the last five years they've been to a final four in a sweet 16 they've been to the tournament throughout of those last five years i just have a hard time getting there with with saying that ucla had lost that status at some point but let's dig in a little bit more to the final four here before we go to break can this ucla team get past gonzaga does cinderella keep dancing does the party continue after midnight i because the I, bell's I, ringing for me right no. now
2: I don't think so. And it, this is the cliched response of a movable object versus an unstoppable force. You have the saw that is Gonzaga's offense. Are they the unstoppable force? They're the unstoppable force. And you have the movable object that is Mick Cronin's defense of UCLA. Defense can carry you to a championship. I just don't know if they can put in. like, And that's nothing against them. It's just like I think this Gonzaga offense is that good and that balanced. We talked about it earlier. Teleportation of the basketball when they're passing it. I just don't know if even a defensive-minded coach like Mick Cronin can put together some sort of plan to even stifle it. Like I don't know if that's possible. He has the time to try to implement a game plan. I just don't know if it could come to fruition.
1: On the other side of that, which team do you give the edge, Houston's defense or Baylor's offense in the other Final Four game?
2: I'm gonna give Baylor's offense. Like, I think that they are they are too deep. I think the their, pace
1: of play, though, also. Yeah,
2: they're and they're getting back to playing the basketball that we saw from them early on in the year. Also, Houston, who have they really played in the tournament? They haven't been tested with an offense That's like Baylor in the tournament. No, they haven't. So they might get a little shell-shocked early on. And I mean, we saw what happened to Auburn when they got shell-shocked and got they took that hit from Baylor. They weren't able to bounce back in that game.
0: Back with more of on the line on the other side of this break. Stay with us. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN
1: 106.7. Last segment of On the Line, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got The Drive with the Bill Cameron coming up in 12 minutes here on both of those stations. ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM. That is how you can listen to The Drive this afternoon. Be sure to stick around for... Bill and Dan on the show with you this afternoon and headed into the evening from 4 to 6 here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Wednesday, and that means the Masked Singer is on Fox at 7. It's the Group B wildcard round, with Group B appearing for the second time this season. And the wildcard looks to steal a spot in the competition. Following the show at 8, Game of Talents will be on Fox as well. Jurassic Park was on last night, so let's go with the sequel this evening. The Lost World Jurassic Park is on AMC at 6. If you're a fan of the old James Bond movies, Goldfinger is on BBC at 5.30. Anti-hero movie with Venom on F. FX at seven Matt Damon stars in the Martian at 635 on FX movies no NCAA tournament tonight but you can turn to the NBA for some basketball and live sports action two games are on ESPN beginning at 630 it'll be the Dallas Mavericks at the Boston Celtics moving to nine the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers collide in a battle between two teams that are in the top four of both the Eastern and Western conferences I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight Got about seven minutes left of the show here. Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. And we were having a great discussion in our previous segment about Blue Bloods, NCAA tournament team Cinderella, UCLA. It's kind of crazy to think UCLA Cinderella, that's the way we're viewing them. But they are an 11 seed. So I still think it's fair to say that they are Cinderella despite their Blue Blood status. And they're honestly the most storied team among that among those Final Four squads because uh, has Baylor won a national championship? I know Gonzaga hasn't, and then I'm trying to remember if Houston's won a title. So I don't think Baylor has, but I'll double check on that. It's very possible. Can you get all three of those for me and just see who's all one time? Because I know Gonzaga has it. Can you tell me if can you tell me if Houston and Baylor have won national championships in basketball? because UCLA's got 11 of them. UCLA could sure share and I'm, still I'm have I'm like 99% more
2: than, sure Houston
0: has.
1: UCLA could share one with all three of these teams and still have more than most in college basketball, okay? So, I'm just saying and, and Levi, as you pointed out there's there's four one seats in this Final 4 because uh there's two ones in in 11th. That's that that was pretty good. That was <laughs> that was a good dad joke in the in the studio today. But I so want to wrap up I want to wrap up the show here. Yeah, you walked in. This is crazy. You you showed up in flip-flops. With a smoothie, and I was like, "That's that is not your." I made a joke. That is not your prototypical Beulah Beulah guy, right there. <laughs> I'm watching my weight. I'm trying. I'm trying to be
2: a little bit healthier. Also, when I left my house, it was just cloudy and it wasn't raining too hard. This was a look
1: outside. It's a smoothie day.
2: Yeah. I, well, I left like I left what an hour before I was supposed to be here. It wasn't raining. I get like halfway here, get behind, you know, car accident. I'm like, okay, that's nice. And then the next thing I know bottom falls out
1: yeah going going
2: about 20 miles you know per hour down 55s and i'm just like oh here we go this is what today's gonna be but yeah like i look i like the smoothies it's the easiest way when you're on the move and having to drive far to come to work it's the best breakfast you can just get it and sip on it the whole way through
1: i feel like smoothies have really emerged in culture recently as like a go-to for a lot of people my wife loves them i'm not a big smoothie guy it's a texture thing for me can't do it um I, just I like the i like the
2: convenience of it it's can't it's drink easy.
1: something that's primarily pulp not for me yeah. but I, um,
2: I can i like it just because of convenience it's easy to just I mean, knock it out when you're on milk. the milk hey it's good that is, and it's that's gross all my like all my health and nutritional values my vitamins the almond milk so it's substituting that for a regular milk so. i
1: promise there's a purpose to me saying that though because i think people think that this thing has gone off the rails talking about smoothies like smoothies have emerged in popular culture we are going to talk about what ncaa basketball team could emerge as a blue blood in the future we've already stated that duke can has emerged as a blue blood in college basketball based off of their time period here with coach k but before that not a great basketball history for duke university so my question here is what other teams are closest to achieving that status before i hit that I do want to say that
2: Houston has not won a national championship. And Baylor has not. And Baylor has not either. So UCLA, the only one in there.
1: You could have three teams that could be entering an exclusive club.
2: Yeah, so I was going through this question throughout the break. I was trying to think, like, who could I see breaking through? It wouldn't be any time, like, recently, because I don't think anybody set up to do that. I don't know. I think think both of these teams are pretty close. The closest one for me. Is Villanova because they have won two champions. They won, went with two out of. They went two in three years, which is really hard to do.
1: As John Rothstein likes to say, they're a Fortune 500 basketball program.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> they're they're the ones who is closest to me as well as Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga is the next closest because of what they have put on in terms of wins.
1: Now those are the two teams I think that are they period. Those are the closest. They, I don't think yeah, anybody
2: else. They're the closest. I think Gonzaga if. Like if you look back, if they had a beaten North Carolina in that national championship game and then won this one, they're like, on this. They're in the they're, same boat
1: as Villanova. Yeah,
2: they're like really on the cusp. Then you're like, then it's a pretty big drop off for teams that really could. I think Connecticut, if they could string together a lot more, like UConn, with a little bit more, just because of name alone, if they could string together more consistent winning in national championships, if they brought in a guy who did that, I could they see disappeared them disappeared
1: for too long. But that like.
2: But it's still that name, like even if, like if someone comes in there, like let's say a Rick Patino ends up there and they end up winning championships again, you're like they're going to start climbing up there because it's Yukon and because you associate them with basketball. Syracuse is another one that disappeared for too long, but they they're consistently above average. consistently they're, 18 and 12, yeah, they're consistently above average, not consistently great i think you got to bring home
1: titles and syracuse is kind of far away from winning titles for me but But, like
2: that's that shows me that's what i'm saying like that's how far away like these two are from the top two there are only
1: two teams as we've pointed out already villanova and godzaga who are next in line to achieve that i'm having a hard like Gonzaga wins more games than Villanova. Villanova wins more championships. So I'm going to value you as you'll probably throw up your hand showing showing ring right here. I'm shocked you haven't done that. But Villanova's got the rings recently, and they win consistently, and they've reached that point where they get the benefit of the doubt with their seed lines every year, even if it might be a slightly down Villanova squad. This Villanova team consistently one of the top teams in college basketball. So I think they're getting there. They need a couple more championships for me to put them in that category. Gonzaga, I think if they win like one or two championships, I think they get there. I think they've already checked off the consistent high volume of winning that you need to get there because this Gonzaga team's like a shoe-in for 30 wins every year. And part of that's the conference that they play in. But if this team wins a couple of championships – and puts a little bit more oomph and a little bit more clout behind their winning, people won't sit there and talk bad about them like they have been over the last 10 years. Because everybody likes to hate on Gonzaga because they said that they don't play anybody. But still, I feel like in the last five years, this Gonzaga team has gone out and beaten some really good basketball teams, not only in the non-conference, but also in the NCAA tournament, because they have advanced to a national championship in the last five years. I think it's very important for the Gonzaga image, to win the national championship this year because it's clear that they're the best team in college basketball from a talent perspective and how they've played all year long if they do anything but win the national championship they failed this year i agree with that like i think they have to and that's the first step
2: that is the first step to getting over that hump and trying to get yourself at least even more into the conversation like they're still gonna have to do a lot more winning in terms of championships
1: That does it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up after us from 4 to 6 here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.